Hey, Saint-Seal, it's so good to, to um, well, not see you. I do miss you a lot. I wish I could see your faces. I am imagining your faces with a lot of effort since I'm seeing just like a little post-it note with a little smiley face right there. But I know that you're smiling and I miss you guys. I hope that we can see each other soon and that's my prayer. Uh, so first, that I, before I start, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to bless uh, and pray over uh, everyone that is watching right now and specifically the people that have had a tough week. Uh, I'm, I'm aware, uh, I, close people to my heart have been impacted by what's going on out there. So I just want to bless you right now. Father, I just ask that you bring uh, consolation, that you bring comforting in this time, and that you prepare us for, for, um, to share this word and that you can speak through me um, a, a word that is actually going to bring hope to people and is going to help them connect with you, which is my goal today. Anyway, all right, guys. So uh, through this season, I actually been reading through Galatians. You're wondering why Galatians? Why did I go into Galatians? I went to Galatians actually because we were reading House of Acts and I wanted to read um, someone that was going through the Acts. So obviously Paul wrote a lot of books and I just chose Galatians out of just wanting to go back to Galatians. And um, basically what he's doing, Paul is writing to the church of Galatians and he describes them like a generous church, a church that is actually in revival, a church that is actually very generous and uh, to the point of uh, one person offering to give his eye to him in exchange of like if, if Paul needed it. Uh, so they were very generous people, uh, very extremists, but generous, I'm not judging. Uh, the religious Jews of that time started infiltrating that church, right? And they started trying to convince the church that they needed to obey the law and abide by the law. And they started, I mean, this is the weirdest campaign that a church could start trying to convince people to circumcise, right? I, I, I can't imagine a modern church today like trying to hand out pamphlets like it's time to circumcise. I don't know. It's kind of awkward. Anyway, <laughs> Paul says that they started doing this, the religious people, were, uh, the religious Jews started doing this to assure themselves. And he uses an, an allegory to explain his point. I hope I said that word right. Uh, in Galatians 4.23, if you open your Bibles right now, we go over there. Um, it says, tell me, who wants to be under the law? Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai. Sinai? Oh, Sinai. How do you say that? Well, whatever, you know me. Uh, bearing children who are to be slaves. She's Hagar. Now, this is Hagar, is Mount Sinai, again, <laughs> in Arabia, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, she's our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not, does not bear, break forth, and shout. You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate tent than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Obviously, this verse is dedicated to Galatians and that had been losing their way. I don't see any of you practicing the law or trying to convince people to circumcise. Um, that would be very awkward, as I mentioned. Um, but what we can get of, 
out of this is the principle that took Israel into that, Israel and the Galatians to, to get pushing back into the law. I basically see it as control. See, uh, in, a, in the allegory, uh, Abraham takes control over the promise that God gave him. So Abraham gets a promise that you will have a, a, a generation that like, that like the sand that covers the sea and the stars that are in the sky. That's what God promises to Abraham, right? And instead of holding on to that promise for a second there, Abraham tries to get control of what God gave him and tries to make it happen, right? He didn't believe that he had a child in a way that, that would be supernatural. He was basically afraid of missing out, all right? In verse 25, he links uh, Hagar to Mount Zion. Now, why, why did he does that linking? Uh, Paul does. Um, and this is where Israel was invited to have relationship with God. So basically Moses comes down from, from he's, he's bringing the people out of Israel. They're, they make it to the Mount. And then he tells them, all right, guys, you want to have a relationship with God, right? Well, you've been freed by him. We just got to go up the mountain and meet with him. And, but Israel looks up the mountain. They see a storm up there. They're like, hey, no, I'm not, I'm not going up there. So they say, just ask God what we have to do. Give us the instructions. Give us the rule book. And uh, Moses goes up, gets the rule book and comes down. And it starts with 10 commandments and keeps on going to 500 and so, right? So what was it that pushed Israel to ask for that? And it's, again, fear. Because in a relationship, you have no control. In a relationship, you can't control the other person, right? So basically, they were afraid of whatever God was doing up in the mountain, and they trusted more if they could get an instruction book. It's the same thing that was happening with the Galatians. They just wanted control. That is what religion gives you. Religion gives you a set of rules, goals to achieve that help us, help us measure uh, our supposed success, like where we're at. As if we were a sales office, like the one that I work in, where you measure how many, how many things have you sold, how, many, how much margin have you made, how much revenue. And instead of actually making it an organic relationship with God, who is supernaturally, uh, who is supernatural and cannot be measured. He cannot be measured. It's, it's actually a, something organic that you need to experience. So what's, the re what's going on with fear? Because fear is what's pushing us to try to grab control, right? Uh, fear is not trusting. Fear will always push us for, to self-preservation. And that's what the Galatians were trying to do. We're trying to preserve themselves and not, tr not really trust in that he, their peers were having a good, healthy relationship with the Lord. Right? They, they were not trusting the other people around them to actually be encountering the Lord. They wanted to have control of whatever the other person was doing. Um, so we go back to the verse, right, where we were reading. And it talks about the barren woman. And it talks about what, it, what she did. And if you look at what she did, what she's said to be doing is she rejoices and she believes. She rejoices and she believes. It's not much doing, is it? It's just changing the way that she thinks because she's actually bringing joy and she's believing on the Lord. Uh, believing is the key because it means surrendering. <laughs> it means surrendering our control. It's surrendering the, the need to make things happen. I'm learning from the person that is the most, uh, I think I've never met someone that surrenders the most until I had a baby called Leon. 
Uh, this little baby, lately, he's been teaching me a lot. I mean, my whole pursuit with God, I've been learning a lot from him because uh, he's not able to do anything. He has no capability to do anything on his own, right? He's just there. He literally cannot move from a place A to B. He just stays there, poops, eats, and cries. That's all he does. And, but what impresses me with him is that he actually, at the beginning, he, he was distrusting. Like, he didn't know who we were, Lorna and I. But then he started learning to trust us. If we're to live for an audience of one, meaning the Lord, the audience of the Father in his eyes, like, we become his sons, and we become sons and daughters, and we're accepted immediately, and we need to embrace that identity. Just like Leon embraced the identity of, hey, I'm a son of these two people, and I'm going to trust them. He has done nothing to gain my love. Leon has done nothing. I'm sorry, son, you have done nothing. And, and that's okay, because he doesn't. He doesn't have to. He just was born into a family that he loves him enormously. I don't know where that love came from, but it's just like, I'm just happy. Whenever he smiles, he makes me the happiest person alive. Like, I had a bad day at work. He comes in. He, well, he doesn't come in. Lorna brings him in, <laughs> puts him in my arms. He starts laughing. I enjoy that. Like, I forget about everything that happened in the day because he's just enjoying. He's just enjoying being with his dad, right? I believe that the promise that, gave, that Jesus gave us um, will tr is, is actually the promise to release control in our relationship and give it to Him and trust Him completely. Um, and once we do start doing that, we don't look to gain the favor of man, we do to gain the favor of only Him. See, re um, in religion, we're looking to gain the favor of people around us. It's more like a bureaucratic game of who is the holiest, who is the one that's actually accomplishing the most, back to the sales office, who's selling the most. And when we are actually in a relationship, it becomes out of, it takes the performance out. And he just takes us there. Are you encountering his love? Are you encountering in this moment when you can't control things? Are you encountering him? Right? And then I can't hold anyone accountable into that. I just need to see their heart. I just need to see, hey, how's your heart doing? Are you connected to the source? Are you abiding by him? Um, all right. So I have a diagram that I wanted to show you guys uh, that's made by Danny Silk. Hope that you're seeing it right now on your screen. Uh, basically, on this diagram, we see what the two paradigms do. Under the religion, par the, the paradigm of religion, the identity that we have is the identity of orphan. My flaws make me unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. I deserve disconnection and punishment. So does everyone else with flaws and failures, right? That's a core belief. Um, motive, the motive of this is fear of punishment. We're just afraid of being punished and being disconnected. Beha and the behavior strategy is what we do. We, it's that we avoid punishment either by hiding and fitting in through pleasing and performing, what I was just talking about, like the leaders that are just outdoing everyone they can, hitting themselves, circumcising themselves, trying to prove as much as possible how can they prove that they are holy, right? or by refusing to fit in, by rebellion and making my own rules. So the goal of this whole thing is self-preservation, right? And the second one, the one that we're 
invited to, that you are invited to, is that core belief, the core belief is that through Jesus, I have become a son or a daughter who is worthy of love, belonging and connecting. My mistakes do not disqualify, disqualify me from the Father's love. Instead, they're precisely where I learned the depth of his love, forgiveness, and commitment to transform me into a mature child. So he uses what I make, the message that I make and everything. He just picks it up and he uses it to teach me. It's just like what I'm using Leon to teach, right? I'm using his mistakes. Well, he's not making mistakes right now. He, well, he uh, does wake up when he shouldn't be waking up. He doesn't know yet when, he, when is the time to wake up. So I try to teach him and form him in that capacity to, so that he can learn how to do that, right? Now, my motive is love. Behavior strategies, we, pers we pursue connection even when it's scary, painful, or offensive. The goal is connection. See, the problem is not on what we're doing, but what we're believing. Sin is one of the multiple things he freed us from with the promise Jesus did. But mostly he freed us to love, to love one another as we love ourselves. This is the genius concept that makes us think, do I actually love myself? Do I actually accept myself as I am right now? That as he made me, my, the, the actual nature that he's called me to be. In the middle of that question, we get, we, we, we get to look inside of us and we cannot look for that love. We're, 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 we cannot find that love just in here. We are called to look for that love from him. That's why the first commandment is love your God above all things. And that's where you get that love. Our lives are surrounded by people looking for love right now. They feel that if they achieve something or arrive at the top of their careers, they will feel uh, the admiration of their peers and then they will be able to love themselves. But that's not, that's not actually where you're going to find love. And we're seeing it right now with everything that's happening around us, right? All those careers, all those dreams suddenly become shaky. So where is actually the perfect love that we're looking for, right? The perfect love leaves no room for fear. And religion comes from control and wanting to control comes from fear. All right, so going back to Galatians, what does Paul do? What does he call the people to do? So he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, just like I just said, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. Why? Because our nature was transformed. Our nature is completely transformed. Going back to the diagram that I was just showing you, our Actually, our goal is to connect. Our core belief is that Jesus already took care of that, right? And now, for the entire law, look at how, like, this is amazing. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul does it again. He reduces the whole law back to the statement, which is love. And I bet... That was frustrating for the people that wanted to control everyone, that wanted to set rules. This is, this is the, this is the point where you're trying to like they, they were trying to control the people, but it's only it said, he told them, hey, you know what? From all those five hundred rules, all you have to do is just love, love yourself and love your neighbor from like you love yourself, right? Um, I'm gonna tell you a relevant like a story that actually like encapsulates a little bit of how I struggled with a dream of mine. I actually had a huge dream, a, a, a dream to actually go to Mozambique and serve the people in Mozambique. Uh, it, it was back when I was in ministry school 
and um, basically we were preparing for months we were working for it i was asking for money for my for my family and my friends i put a lot of money in my myself of course and i was just i was just passionate about going to mozambique and, and serving over uh under irish ministries and help over there and uh, i just felt the calling you know i had the words i even got like drawings that i'm going right so finally we're going we're leaving to San Francisco and in, in, in the airport, they're checking our passports and everything. And the lady in the counter tells us, hey, by the way, uh, you're Mexican. And I'm like, yes, uh, since you're Mexican, you can actually not enter South Africa. And I said, well, I'm going to Mozambique. What does that matter? Right. She said, well, your, your first layover is in, in, in South Africa, in, in Johannesburg. And <laughs> you cannot enter unless you have a visa even for a layover. And we didn't know that. I didn't know that, I was shocked. And so my, my leader approached the lady and said, no, he actually doesn't need a passport for the layover. He just said that, looked her in the eye and like a Jedi trick, he doesn't need it. And she said, oh, you're right, he doesn't need it. So basically that was kind of impressive. So we go through after that, but I was kind of shaky with that kind of conversation because it's still, we were going to London and then from London to South Africa and then to Mozambique. So it was a very long trip. And um, so in the flight, I was praying, I was like getting ready for, for whatever's gonna happen in London. When we arrived in London, I immediately called my, um, all my friends that used to work, I used to work in the Foreign Affairs Ministry um, like one year prior to that. And I called all my friends, all my, uh, my family members that worked actually in the Foreign Affairs Ministry in Mexico and the, the, uh, our ambassadors. And they got me, they helped me hook me up with some uh, connections in South Africa from the embassy in Mexico so that if I landed in, in South Africa, they would, like, they would come in as a delegation and get me to the plane and make sure that I wouldn't be detained. So I was coordinating all that at the same time my, uh, my leaders were also working with the airline to make sure that I could get on the plane in the first place. So you have my whole team uh, praying and worshiping in the line as they're giving their tickets. Uh, and suddenly when it's my turn, you see like this light that goes red or green that you're boarding, right? And I'm like, I'm ready. I'm like, I had everything prepared. Everything was set, but suddenly, boom, the light turns red. <laughs> and I have to stay in London. So I'm like, what the heck? I, like I had everything ready and they didn't let me board. Then my leader tells me, okay, if you, if you wanna go, you gotta, you, gotta, you, you gotta find your way, some way, here's 500 bucks and try to do it. If you want to not go, you can go back. And I said, no, I wanna go. So the next day I'm like, I stay in London, I'm crying, I'm like uh, really disappointed that my plan didn't work out, but put it aside, I go to the embassy in the, ne the next morning, I go to the embassy and the guy looks at me in the eye that's attending the, the counter and he tells me, um, you want a visa? Yes. Uh, sorry, no, I'm not gonna give you a visa. And I'm like, why? Because you're Mexican. They, like they have a thing against Mexicans in South Africa. So I didn't know that we had like a literally like a diplomatic problem. <laughs> and so I was denied. And then, so I was like, well, now what? So I go to the embassy in, in, in uh, a Mexican in Messi, I start working to get a, 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 a ticket that goes around. And I was like, okay, I can figure this out. Um, Africa doesn't seem that big. So I get a ticket to go to Tanzania to go around it. And then I said, well, if I get to Tanzania, maybe I can like get on a bus and drive down to, to Mozambique, right? 
So I get on a plane, finally get through, and once I get to Tanzania, where I discover that the cockroaches can be this size, I'm not kidding you, this big, yeah, a big cockroach walking around. And when I, once I unloaded, uh, they stopped me because I didn't have a visa for Tanzania. And they tell me in the security, hey, you cannot come to our country, but I'm in their country. Uh, you can't be here because you don't have a visa. And I said, well, I'm not staying here. I'm just a layover. Well, what's your ticket? I didn't have a ticket. So I said that same story five times. Five times I had to relate that story. Um, finally, one guy tells me, okay, fine. What we can do is take you on the back. You leave your passport here and then we take you, I take you in the back and you buy your ticket in the counter and then you can come back in. I'll give you your passport back. Sounds sketchy very sketchy and with my recent luck i was like i shouldn't do this but i have no option so <laughs> i basically did it gave him my passport left it there in the counter he took me out in the back door took me to an atm i took out money paid for a new ticket he took me back in the back uh, from the back door and gave me my passport back i don't know how that happened i didn't bribe anyone i promise anyway i finally get on another flight now, my flight that I could find was only to uh, Nairobi, so in Kenya. From, from Kenya, I was supposed to fly to Mozambique, so I, fl like I bought a ticket with one layover. One, that's it. Uh, by the way, just so that you know, Mozambique, uh, the coast, can be from, it's actually the same size from Alaska to San Diego. That's how big Mozambique's coast is. I didn't understand that, so I thought I could just ride from country to country in a bus as if they were like just like U.S. states. Anyway, um, I get on the flight, I get to Nairobi, um, I'm fine at that point, I'm just waiting for my, for my next flight, and uh, I'm in the gate and I fall asleep, right? And I'm waiting, and I, and I fall asleep. I wake up, and I see that everyone's there. My flight leaves like in half an hour, so I fall asleep again. And in 20 minutes, I wake up again, because obviously I shake up, like I'm gonna lose the flight. I don't lose the flight, but everyone's standing up. And I started to notice, this is kind of sketchy. Why is everyone standing up? And then they bring us food after like an hour. They bring us food. Yep, when an airline is bringing you food, it's a bad sign. So, and it wasn't good food. Uh, apparently I bought tickets with the worst airline in the world. Like it's actually rated as the worst airline in the world. It's Mozambique Air or something like that. And, uh, and their flight, their plane uh, was broken and they weren't gonna fly. So they told us, hey, you guys, you can't go. By this point, this was the third day that I was lost and I was hitting fourth the next morning. I was desperate. I was like, this is such a pain. People back home were like, emailing me. We're like, where are you? What's going on? And my dad was freaking out. He was uh, trying to find me. Uh, like Lorna was not my girlfriend yet, but we were kind of a thing. She was frustrated that I was lost and not really knowing. Like the whole church was praying for me because of that Mexican that got lost in the middle of Africa. Um, so obviously I didn't know all those things. I just found out later. But that was all very, very, uh, a huge pressure because my dream was just collapsing right there. And I kept fighting and fighting. So the next morning, in the, in the morning, I was like, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm gonna find another flight to get out of here. I'll buy, I'll buy another one, you know? And I couldn't, I couldn't find any flights that for another week that I would have to stay there so I could leave. 
they told us that they would fix the, the plane and in the morning, they didn't. So I started to make friends and we started to, and I decided to just go out. So I'm with my friends walking around the streets of Nairobi, getting to know the place. Suddenly I see this van coming and they start waving at me like very, very quickly. I'm like, I'm not that famous to be like recognized there. I'm not famous at all, but, but certainly these people were like were waving at me and, uh, and I'm like, who are these people? And they were the other passengers. They were leaving. They, they were in the van and they were leaving. And I, I was like, I panicked and I told my, my crew of six other passengers that were stuck with me, they're leaving, let's go. And we had to run back to the hotel and we were like 20 minutes away. So we started running. And so in Nairobi, people, people are black and I'm not black. So I was very recognizable when I was running. And if you see like a bunch of people running in the middle of the street in Nairobi where there's been Boko Haram and there's been kind of terrorist attacks, people get really scared. So people were freaking out that we were running. And some guy pulled out a gun, uh, pointed it at me, but I didn't care. I kept on running. He suddenly realized that we were running from something. So he pulled out the gun to my uh, colleague, you might call him. And I was like, oops, sorry, I gotta go. Obviously I didn't, I didn't care at that point about what would happen there, but I kept on running. Uh, finally, I made it, I grabbed my bag, got into a van. My colleague, my friend that got pulled out with a gun, made it too, so we can be calm. And <laughs> we're driving back to the, to the airport. We're so excited, we're finally leaving. And um, we're actually like, uh, having a beer before we leave. I wasn't supposed to have a beer because I was in ministry uh, school and, and ministry um, trip. But anyway, we were just really happy that we were finally leaving. And then um, eight o'clock hit and we were not leaving. Nine o'clock hit and we were not leaving. And then we realized we haven't seen anyone from the airline in the airport. So we start dividing our group, like the Chinese team uh, of the passengers go to one counter, the um, Latino crew go to another counter and the uh, European go to another counter. So we all organized, like with all the passengers, we were trying to nail down where the, where the crew was. Uh, they wouldn't show their face. They wouldn't tell us what was going on, if they freaked the plane or not. Um, one of the crews was getting very uh, desperate and they were gonna break a TV, I calmed them down, don't break a TV, it's not gonna really go well with us. And you know, in Kenya, they really take it to heart the Hakuna Matata saying. They, 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 they say, it'll be okay, it'll be 10 minutes. They always tell you 10 minutes for everything. Uh, 10 minutes can mean three hours, it can mean two days, it can mean three days. So for someone that's used to 10 minutes might be 20 or 15, that's a problem, right? So basically we were stuck again. It was another day in Nairobi. I was like, what's going on? And finally, I decided I should pray. I'm gonna talk to God. So God, what's going on? <laughs> Why can I not get out of here? Why can I not do anything? And, and, that, and, and, and then I felt just like, what are you doing? He asked me, what are you doing? I was like, well, I wanna get on the mission trip. I wanna get on to minister to people. And he's like, you're in Africa. You have people around you. What are you doing? And then I realized, oh my God, I have I have not cared about anyone but getting to Mozambique. I have not cared about the people that are around me and I'm actually in some other country surrounded by people that are desperate because my, 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 pass my colleague passengers were there also desperate. 
And I have been ignoring them completely because I only cared about my own survival, my self-preservation, and I wasn't caring about them at all. So then I surrender and I said, you know what? You take care of me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be on, I'm surrendering, I'm trusting you. I'm just gonna take care of the people that I have around. So I started, that's what I started doing. I just started loving them. I just started giving to them. Like this guy that looked like he was having a horrible uh, headache because he looked like a Frankenstein. Uh, like really, like he, he really looked bad because of the headache. I just prayed for him. I just say, hey, can I pray for you? I just stopped caring. I was like, I have nothing to lose. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I probably won't make it to my mission trip because it's the sixth day and they're probably already healing the sick. So I might as well just start. So I started doing that. I started blessing people and suddenly like within, I don't, I, I promise to you, this is not a formula, but I do know that when you lay down everything and you surrender to him, he will respond. That's the promise. And within an hour, they called us that the plane was ready. I, it was like, it was funny. Like I started praying and started giving prophetic words to these people and suddenly they tell us, hey, you gotta go. It was just boom, change, transform. When I made it to Mozambique, I was just weeping because I, I, I made it to Mozambique. I got picked up. Obviously, my team wasn't there. My team was gone. They were in the bush bush. Like they were like uh, in the middle of the jungle, which is like an 11 hour trip in, on, on a car. And I was like, oh my God, whatever. I'll, I'm here. I'll take care of the kids and the or orphanage. I'll be, I'll do whatever. Um, so basically, I, I, I was put by myself. My team wasn't there. And I just started hanging out with the little kids. And suddenly they tell me, hey, uh, Roland Baker is gonna fly over there. You wanna go with him? I was like, what do you mean he's gonna fly? He has his, they have their own plane where they take the supplies, so he's gonna fly. Do you wanna go with him? I was like, yes. So they got me in a plane and what should have been a ride of 11 hours in the back of a bus, it was whoop, a half an hour flight. And then I get off the plane and I meet Heidi. And Heidi Baker tells me, oh, you're the lost Mexican. Seven days, you're lost. And I said, yes, that's me. Ah, sometimes we gotta pay the price. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> From that point on, I was just in tears whenever I was being touched by the Lord because I just saw that the, the Lord of the universe actually responded to my love. He actually responded to my connection. He actually responded to my surrender. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a, planted, like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots and river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. That's a promise, and that's a promise for us. You know, I, when I was there, like, it, it was... I, since I surrendered so much, since I went through that process of trusting Him, of loving Him well, and loving myself well, and loving the people around me, I was praying for the sick with so much hope. And I, like, I saw people that were catatonic, that were like, like this, held like this. And when we prayed for them, she started moving, and then she, this lady started hugging her mom for the first time, and they were in tears. After that, they were like right next to her. We were actually in, 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 in the wing where, um, in the hospital where people were having um, brain damage. So there was a lady there that they call her a, a, a vampire witch. And this vampire witch was held by restraints in, in, in her arms. And then uh, she was uncovered on the top of her, her body because she would keep on moving. And obviously my, my, my other team members, because I caught up with my team, were scared of her. 
I mean, apparently they had to help her because she would bite herself and drink blood out of her hand. So I approached her and, and, and then I told the translator, please ask her if she wants to be free. I just wanted to make sure that she wanted to be free from whatever was tormenting her. And the translator says that she wanted to be free. So I said, okay, well, since you want to be free, I need all the help that I can get. So you need to receive Jesus right now. <laughs> so I asked her to receive Jesus. I led her on a prayer. The moment that I led her on the prayer, she stopped shaking and she stopped moving. And uh, uh, she, it finalized. And then I said, okay, now I'm going to pray that you're completely free. And I prayed for her. And actually her eyes that were bloodshot, they changed color like right there. And then she's like started covering her. She became aware of her nudity and she started covering herself. And, and even though that she couldn't like really do it, but she cared about uh, taking care of herself in that moment. So I just felt like the Lord was so close to me because out of my whole trip, he became my only option. Like it was my only option. Nothing that I could do or perform or do myself was working. It was all about giving, hey, can you take care of this, Lord? Can you help me? I believe that the church right now, is we have a great opportunity. We don't have our regular church. We don't have our walls. We don't have our uh, worship team. We, uh, we're, a lot of things right now are out of our control. Right now in my week, we have a lot of things that happen that we're out of my control. Even leaving the house is out of our control. Our jobs, economy, the church. So we get to be the church right now that recognizes, okay, we need to look to the Lord. I know we, it's okay to grieve because we need the comforter and the comforter when, he com when we actually need comfort is when we are sad. We recognize, hey, I'm, 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 I'm grieving right now. Can you be the comforter, right? But if we know that for him to be the comforter, we need to actually recognize that we need him. Um, and we need to surrender our beliefs. It's easier for, for Christians to surrender our actions than our beliefs. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, again, mentioning what Paul was mentioning earlier, asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, um, they were looking for a rule, a rule that could be like pointed out to be the best. And hearing that Jesus in Matthew 22, 34, he says, um, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these commandments. You know, it goes back to love. It goes back to connection with him. It's not a philosophy, it's a person. Jesus is not a guru where he gave us a set of rules. He gave us a set of uh, philosophies to follow. He gave us a relationship, right? He, he, he either is saying who he said, either we believe that he's saying who he says he is, or we completely cross everything that he said. Because he did say that he was the son of God and that he was God himself. <laughs> so no guru will say that that kind of phrase and you keep on believing that he's sane. So either he is who he says he is or he's not. And right now we need to believe with all of our hearts that he is who he says he is. And he and we are who he says we are. Right? So I wanna do a minister time right now. I know this probably was short, 
I don't know how short it was, but um, I want us to pray right now to the Lord to show us every lie that we're believing. God, what am I trying to control? What am I trying to hold on? Because in any, any, any spot in my life where I'm feeling anxiety is because I'm not putting Him in the God spot. You know, the God spot is where He's the center. He's the most important part. Whenever I put something in the center, like my job, my relationship, my health, or uh, my peace, or anything that I can, or my dream, in, my, in the case of my Mozambique trip, and like any kind of situation that I put in the center, and I put it that's the most important thing, that, when I do that, it will give me anxiety, because I'm not putting the Lord as the center of it all. And I'm not saying that I have it figured out. Right now, I'm like, I've seen a lot of things happening in my life that need a lot of hope. Um, but hope is the confidence in the belief that good is coming. It's not about denying our reality. It's just coming to a different conclusion of the circumstances. Jesus never denied that they were in the storm. He just calmed it. He just slept through it. He never denied that there was a storm or there was a problem or there was a disease. He just gave an answer. See, the religious mind wants you to, to answer why of the sickness. But Jesus wants to bring an answer to the sickness. Let's not limit the Holy Spirit in a, in a certain way that He can move. Like right now, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can do anything. I can't go and pray for the sick. I can't go and uh, lay hands on anyone. Well, I, I tell you what, Jesus never healed anyone in, a, in, in, in the same way. He never did. He came up with every, like every time he twisted, like he changed it. So if he, probably, if he could have Skype or Zoom today, he would use it. He will use it to heal people because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's not hold to any kind of walls or uh, we need to have Jacob praying, uh, playing the guitar next to us so that he can move. No, he can do it because nothing is impossible to him. So either we believe that or we don't. As a church, I want us to, to realize on the time that we're called, we were made for a time as this. I know that sounds like a cliche or sense, but it is. It is the time we choose. We choose to be in this time as, like, we didn't choose this time, but we, we can choose what, how we behave in this time. And, and I took that from Gandalf and talking to Frodo in Lord of the Rings. You can quote that. Uh, I'll ask Tyler to add it as a good quote. Uh, the structures that we have built, we cannot trust those structures. We can only trust Him. So right now, I'm going to pray for all of you right now. Father, I just ask that in every household, in every... Um, Every person's heart that is listening to this, I just ask that you bless them with peace and understanding of your perfect love that casts out fear. That is a promise that there won't be fear in Jesus' name. I ask it for me right now, God, even. Like, I want that love, that love that overflows, that love that brings the confidence that I am with the Father, God. I just ask right now that we start having revelations, that we start coming into agreement that what we're called to do is to look to you in the eyes and go after prayer. We start to have prayer and connection, a relationship that is not a set of rules, but an organic relationship that we get to, that we get to experience. In Jesus' name, I just bless everyone right now. So in your household, I just ask you right now, um, we're going to start opening a spreadsheet 
where we're going to call people to prayer. We're going to call them to prayer. If you can't join our prayer, our, our prayer change, which, which is going to be 24-7, which I, that, that's my dream, uh, that we can fill out every slot of the day that's going to be covering uh, with prayer. The Lord has promises for the people that watch over the watch, like the, the watchmen that's, that take over the watch. And I want us to be those watchmen. I want us to be covering our city, covering our, our, our world, and from our room. We get to be the church. It's the moment where we get to decide, are we going to be scared or are we going to be with him? Are we going to be freaked out and just in a corner or are we going to encounter him? I know that a lot of people are going through a hard, hard situation and you are the people that are in my heart right now that I want to pray for. So if you can, join our prayer list. And also, like, if you can't join our prayer list, just start choosing a time slot in your day where I'm going to go after. If you prayed half an hour, pray an hour. If you were praying 15 minutes, pray half an hour. Go for more. Make sure you're encountering His face, that you're going after Him, and that you're holding on to the belief that you're changed and transformed. All right, guys, I bless you in Jesus' name, and thank you so much for listening.